If you'd like to turn to Proverbs chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. That will be our scripture reading this morning. Proverbs 7, 1 through 4. My son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with thee. Keep my commandments and live and my law as the apple of thine eye. Bind them upon thy fingers, write them upon the tablet of thine heart. Say unto, uh, say unto wisdom, thou art my sister, and call understanding thy kinsman or kinswoman. Russ Metcalf wrote one time, he said, I found that tides and currents do not determine the destination. That is what rudders and engines and sails are for. While you don't dare ignore the tides and currents, you also never get anywhere if you let them dictate your direction. When you can, you make them serve you. When you can't go with the currents, you learn to cut across them as best you can, but always with your destination in mind. I believe there are a great many people in the world who live their lives that way. They just kind of go along with the current. Uh, they go the wrong way because they've lost sight of or never really had a destination in mind. One preacher once noticed, he said, many people are what you might call directionally challenged. I think that is correct. I think a lot of us, even Christians at times, become directionally challenged. They don't know where they're going. They don't know how to get there. They don't have a goal in mind. And they just wander through life expecting that things will be okay. And that's kind of what happens when uh, people just ride the currents or the waves and they, they don't make an effort to get to a certain place. To get to heaven, we have to decide that's where we want to go. We can't go through life just going the way everyone else goes and get to heaven. We have to make proper decisions and have a destination in mind. The title this, this morning... To the sermon is, Decisions Are Important. Decisions Are Important. And I want us to listen to King Solomon for a moment this morning as he instructs us on making proper decisions in life and choosing the right direction as well as the right plan that we need to take to get where we are going. The wise man begins this portion of the Proverbs by telling his son about a roaming boy. You see, this boy is just riding the current. It's as if he is a ship without a rudder, just going wherever the current may lead him. Uh, that's our first point. We're talking about a roaming boy. King Solomon was watching the people. He was sitting, he was looking through his window, he was watching his subjects, and he was watching them go about their daily lives. I've never been much of a people watcher, but I've known a lot of people who enjoy going to malls and different places just watching people. Just watching people. Now, there are some very interesting people in the world. There's no doubt about that. And sometimes when we're at certain places, uh, you know, uh, I find myself watching people. But just to go out and watch people, I've never really been interested in that. But we see King Solomon. Of course, he had some uh, some higher motives here. He's looking out his window and he's looking over the subjects and he's watching them. He's watching them go through their daily lives and activities and he saw a young man that was just kind of wandering around. 
a young man who was just kind of walking down the street. And this is what Solomon said, Proverbs 7, 7 through 8. He said, And behold, among the simple ones, I discerned among the youths, a young man void of understanding, passing through the street near her corner, and he went the way to her house. And so, what we're given here is a picture of a young man out walking around. No destination in mind, nothing probably on his mind other than just being out in the evening. He doesn't seem to care about where he is going, and that doesn't mean that we can't go out and we can't just enjoy certain aspects. Sometimes, uh, you know, we live in a beautiful city here in Chattanooga, and we might go down to Coolidge Park, or we might ride a bicycle through the city, and uh, or we might go along the river walk with no particular destination in mind. We're just enjoying the area, but that's not how we live our everyday lives. See, even when we do that, the whole point is we have a destination to enjoy our city, to have some free time, to kind of get away. But this young man, he's just kind of wandering around. He doesn't seem to care where he goes. He has no specific direction. He simply roaming around, and on top of that, it's getting late in the evening and it's getting dark. It's getting dark. He seems to be, in my opinion, killing some time. Just kind of enjoying the city because he has nothing better to do. And see, that's okay if from time to time you have nothing better to do. We call that relaxation. We call that enjoying a little time off. But... What Solomon is dealing here with is a boy whose lifestyle is like this. This is his every day. This is his every day. He's just like a, a, a rudderless ship. He doesn't know where he's going, really doesn't care. Doesn't mind how he gets there. But Paul encouraged us in this way. Notice Colossians 4, beginning in verse 2. Paul said, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak, walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. You see, this young man, he was uh, uh, one of God's children. He was a Jew. He was a Jew. And he wasn't walking with wisdom. He wasn't walking with wisdom. Of course, that wasn't anything new to the Jewish people. As we read through their history, it seems as if almost 100% of the time they didn't walk with very much wisdom, but they were instructed to walk with wisdom. And so Paul instructs us as Christians to walk with wisdom. Be an example to those on the outside. We're talking about those who are not Christians. And we see that God has instructed us and given us instruction on how to live lives as Christians in a world that is ungodly. Christians have to behave themselves with wisdom, particularly in this context of which Paul speaks toward those who are not Christians. Now our behavior toward those who are not Christians ought to be and is to be manifest wisdom by conduct. We demonstrate our wisdom through conduct. Now, the illustration we're using this morning is this young boy walking through the cities as King Solomon looks at him. Is he conducting himself in wisdom? Well, of course he's not. He's the furthest thing from wisdom because when we conduct ourselves in wisdom, what Paul is talking about is we conduct ourselves in an upright and an honest manner. 
That's what he's talking about. We are to deal with other people according to the strictest principles of integrity in the ways God has instructed us. What happens when we behave ourselves towards other people in wisdom, understanding what that means now? Well, that means that they cannot uh, blame us for anything. We can be blameless. You know, that's one of the qualifications of an elder. That doesn't mean perfectly sinless. That means you can't be blamed for living in such a way that is contrary to what God wants. So that we cannot be blamed, and God cannot be blamed. God cannot be blamed. If one claims to be a follower of God, yet he lives like the world, what kind of a light does that shine upon God? I've heard countless times, and I'm sure you have too, you've talked with people and they've worked with someone who claimed to be a Christian, and those were some of the sorriest people in the world, and they said, well, if that's how a Christian behaves, why do I want to be part of that? See, that's not uh, uh, acting in manifest wisdom or living in manifest wisdom toward those who are not Christians. And that's what Paul's getting to. David Lipscomb wrote this. He said, they watch our walk more than our talk. And judge and measure our talk by our walk. The lives of Christians are the Bibles the world reads. Live so that the more you are known, the more you will be esteemed. So that those who are without and anxious would naturally seek you for help and guidance. And your judgment or reproof would carry with it the weight of a consecrated character. Wow, that's a mouthful, isn't it? But isn't that wise advice? I believe believe Brother Lipscomb knew what he was talking about when he made that statement. And so such conduct is to be toward those who are without. That's the immediate context of what we're talking about. Obviously, it's to be toward those who are within as well. But we're talking about our conduct and our decision-making processes. We want to be able to be what God wants us to be. Those in the body and those outside the body will recognize that. You know... There's no middle ground, is there? You're either in or you're out. You're either a Christian or you're not a Christian. So we don't have to worry about people who are kind of Christians. We don't have to worry about people who are kind of lost. We have to behave and manifest wisdom toward the saved and the lost in the exact same way. Being examples toward the saved is encouraging those to remain that way and to continue in it. Being examples toward the lost are those... Uh, we live in such a way that we would draw them in toward us and we might be able to help lead them to Christ. That's the whole point, right? Now, we must never think that it is unloving or overly dogmatic to proclaim the nature of the church. Now, there are certain ways we do that, right? We can make that unloving. We can make that overly dogmatic. But we should never apologize for God's plan. The church is very unique. The church has a very stringent entrance demand. And we should not uh, shy away from that. There are terms that, that need to be followed to gain entrance. There are terms that need to be followed to remain in the church. And we shouldn't be ashamed of that. We should never be ashamed of that. And we should always embrace that covenant relationship that God has allowed us to be a part of and, and proclaim that to those who are in the world. I think Solomon's example, uh, the young boy here, he didn't live in that way, did he? I don't think he lived in any particular way other than just what felt good at the moment. And I think what needs to stand out in our minds is as King Solomon 
was watching this roaming boy. This roaming boy was in all the wrong places. <laughs> Have you ever known someone who just, if it was going to happen, something bad was going to happen, it was going to happen to that person? I think I'm that person sometimes, but but I've seen people where it's just every, it's just all the time you talk to them, something terrible has happened. It might have something to do with decisions, right? It might have something to do with decisions. We need to make the proper decision. That doesn't mean that bad things won't happen to good folks and those who are very faithful to God. Bad things happen to good people. But we need to understand that this young boy, and we're using him as an illustration, he's in all the wrong places. You know, I've known people and you've known people and I used to be this person. Every decision you made is almost like you made the wrong one. Right? You weren't using the right processes. You weren't using or manifesting wisdom in your walk and in my walk. And sometimes before we get a handle on that, we make poor decisions. Notice this young boy here. He was in the wrong part of town at the wrong time of day. And he met the wrong kind of woman. All of that was bad decision making. He wasn't the only person roaming around town. But he's the one Solomon said, or saw. And he's the one Solomon's talking about. Notice what she did. He's in the wrong place, the wrong time. He meets the wrong woman. She comes out. She's very beautiful, obviously. Piques his interest. She showed great interest in him. And then it just went from bad to worse. She made him feel good about himself. She uh, invited him in to spend time with her in his in her home. And you know what? He didn't have anything else better to do. Didn't have anything else better to do. Have you noticed in life, people who fall away from God don't have anything better to do because they don't have God as their focus and their primary. So when decision time comes and they have certain things happening in their lives, they don't have anything else better to do because they're not focusing on God. They're not focusing on God. And that's what God wants us to do. Put Him in our lives so we've got something better to do. This young man went right along and he didn't have anything else better to do. And this is what Solomon said. Immediately he went after her. As an ox goes to the slaughter. Well, we know how that ends up, right? Or what about this? Or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. What happens to the person who makes the wrong decision and he ends up in jail and he's going to sit there for a while? Has there ever been young men, 18, 19, 20 years old, who went to prison and that was the last time they ever saw the daylight of freedom? Yeah. Why? Because they made some poor choices at the wrong time. And that's what Solomon's talking about. Till an arrow struck his liver as a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it would cost his life. You know, look, this young man didn't have anything better to do. He made a poor decision. He didn't realize it was going to cost him his life, but isn't that how most bad decisions are made? We make a poor decision. We're not looking past the ten minutes it took to make that decision. We need to look on down the road. We need to look at the impact of that, right? All of us make poor decisions from time to time. That's not something unique to a particular set of people. But the, those poor decisions 
often come with consequences that outlast the decision. So we need to consider that, right? Notice her tactics. Proverbs 7, begin with 13. So she called him and kissed him. With an impudent face she said to him, I have peace offerings with me. Today I have paid my vows. So I came out to meet you diligently to seek your face. And I have found you. I've spread my bed with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him and will come home on the appointed day. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield with her flattering lips She seduced him. She said, I have determined to meet you and I came out to meet you. That wasn't true. He just happened to be the first idiot that came along. Right? That's what happened there. He was the first foolish person to come along and she's good at what she does. You know, she's good at what she does. She should have been an actress. She flattered him. She seduced him and he fell for that. You see, this young man, he didn't have any direction in life. He ignored the direction given to him by God, and he allowed these flattering words of the woman to trap him, and he made a decision that would cost him dearly. Hey, decisions are important. Let us look at this in a proper way. I think it can be applicable to almost every aspect of life. We hear flattering words, and and we believe them. Who doesn't like to be... Uh, uh, praised. Who doesn't like to hear, boy, that's a great job. Boy, you look nice today. I don't know that anyone else could have done exactly what you did there. You were the man or the woman for the job. Right? Who doesn't enjoy that? I think if someone says, excuse me, I don't enjoy that, I don't think they're being completely honest with themselves. Now, they might not like for someone to stand up in a crowded room and say it. Right? But have you ever received a note in the mail, a card, and someone saying, Boy, I really appreciate you. Thanks a lot. Well, that's nice, isn't it? That's nice. And so, people can fall into that. Do you think Christians ever done that? Do you think someone who claims to be Christ has ever flattered someone to get their way inside the church? Sure they have. Sure they have. You know, that's the way Satan works, isn't it? Paul warned us. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14, And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Now let's remember, who's our illustration? A child of God. A child of God is our illustration. A Jew living under the period of the United Kingdom. And he fell for it from someone else who was a child of God living in the United Kingdom under the reign of Solomon. We can be flattered into believing our decisions are good ones, right? That's how it happens sometimes. Because those around us won't always tell us those decisions are bad. I recall one time then Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy went to a a, a prized confidant of President Kennedy, and I don't recall what the decision material was or what the topic was, but... The attorney general went to this individual who was a confidant and he said, look, you might be right or you might be wrong. But the president has made his decision. 
And so now it is our job to support him in that decision. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? I think a lot of the time we can determine whether something's right or wrong if we think about it long enough. And just because someone has made their decision, does that mean we need to support them in it? I don't think so. How many churches, uh, congregations of the Lord's church, made that first bad decision? And we read about it all the time, right? Congregations who were once faithful, now using the instrument. Well, the leadership made their decision. Now it's our job as members to support them in that decision. Not so. Not so. I read not too awfully long ago, of course I say that might have been 10 years ago, congregation down in Texas, they decided that they wanted to be able to offer the Lord's Supper on a Saturday night because people were traveling on Sunday. After all, it's just a few hours. And so the leadership decided to do that. Now as a congregation of people, it's our job to support that leadership. Listen, that is the furthest thing from the truth that we can even be around. How did the young man of Proverbs 7 end up in such a dangerous situation? Well, he's out roaming. And he also lacked godly reasoning. That's our second point. He lacked godly reasoning. A lack of reasoning will bring nothing but grief to those who ignore wisdom. I've seen people, and you've seen people, who know a decision is a bad decision, but they are so caught up in whatever it is they are caught up in, that they do not use godly reasoning and it comes back and it gives them nothing but grief. Have you ever known a drug addict who just could not stop doing what he or she was doing? Lost their children, lost their jobs, lost their homes, stole from everybody they knew and loved, and they knew at the time they shouldn't be doing it, and did it bring grief to them? Well, 99% of the time, yes, it brought grief to them. The other 1% just didn't care. Right? So we need to use godly reasoning. I recall several years ago, a bunch of uh, Indiana Pacers players, uh, in, uh, the NBA team, they were at a bar one night, and they got into some trouble. They were, in fact, in downtown Indianapolis at 2.15 in the morning. They were at an establishment named Eight Seconds Saloon. Now, that sounds like some something or a place we all want to be, right? Sounds like a place that no one with any good sense would be. Anyone using godly reasoning. Well, a fight broke out. A whole lot of the witnesses said that all of the Pacers players were right in the middle of it, fighting, causing a problem. Well, the Pacers players said, we didn't have anything to do with it. Well, there was one uh, commentator. He noted, he said, nothing good can ever come from being at a bar. Nothing good can ever come with being at a bar at that time. Nothing good can come from being at a bar, being at a bar at that time, with those kinds of people. Now that is godly reasoning. Whether that man was a Christian or not, he understood that, didn't he? So we have to use our reasoning. If they had only listened to the words of Solomon, that wouldn't have happened. (laughs) Moses demonstrated great reasoning skills when he chose to rather suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Hebrews eleven twenty five. You know, we have to make godly choices in this life, and they must be based 
on the Word of God. Listen, decisions are important. We have examples of congregations of the Lord's people not doing that. Jesus told them when we look in the Revelation, Revelation 3, 1 through 6, there's a congregation called Sardis. Jesus explained some things to them. He said, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, but you're dead. Had a pretty good reputation. But they were just sitting there. They had died spiritually. He wanted them to overcome. He wanted them to get back in the game, get their heads right, or he was going to come take their candlestick. If we ignore God's wisdom, that's Revelation 3, 1 through 6, he will take away the candlestick of life each of us have individually, and if the congregation can't do the proper things, their candlestick will be taken away also. I think the whole point of Solomon warning his son against foolish actions is, you know, of course, it's going to bring grief. It's going to be grief. Use use reasoning. But he wanted them to be able to grasp the commandments of God. Isn't that important? How we rear our children? You know, Solomon did a whole lot of things that uh, he shouldn't have done. He wasn't a good example to his sons regarding marriage, right? He wasn't a good example to his sons regarding how you get the good out of life, right? Wine, women, and song, and anything else you can think of. But, you know, thankfully, when we read uh, Ecclesiastes, I feel like that's his repentance. He says it's all empty. It doesn't mean a thing. But he wasn't a good example at that time. But we see him in this particular instance. He says, son, look. This young man out there is not grasping God's commandments, and you need to grasp those commandments. God doesn't want us to roam around in the dark with no clear direction in this life, not using godly reasoning and becoming distracted by every little thing that comes along. He wanted his son, Solomon did, and for us to see the value in knowing where we are going, whether good or bad. I think we overlook that sometimes, don't we? We need to know that the path we're on is not good, whether we're on it or not. We need to be able to know how to get off of that path and how to determine what path is the right path. Has that ever happened in life? Sure it has. Very faithful people at one time had gotten off the track, but they were able to recognize it's not good. This isn't taking me where I want to go. Now that track over there is the one I want to be on. That's what Paul, or uh, excuse me, Solomon is talking about. Peter encouraged his readers to understand that. Notice 2 Peter 1, verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. See, it's what the Word of God does. It's a light. It shows you who you are, where you are, and what you need to be. That's what it is. God's Word will shine into the dark places, and it can bring light to any situation we face. Paul described that, Ephesians 5, 11 through 16. In essence, he said, don't participate with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather rebuke them. Shine a light on them. Not only so you can know what's going on, but those around you can see it as well. That's part of living in this world with manifest wisdom toward those who are not Christians. Shining a light into areas 
where they need to avoid that place. That's what Christians do. God's Word will make manifest all of those things, whether good or bad. And we need to prepare ourselves accordingly, right? We understand how to do that. We know what the, what the plan of salvation is. We understand what God has put forth, but we need to be able to tell other people about it. We need to talk about the importance of faith, John eight twenty four. We need to talk about the importance of repentance, uh, uh, Acts 2, 38. We need to talk about the importance of confessing that Christ is the Son of God and living that way. Living that way. That's what really Matthew 10, uh, 32 and 33 is all about. I think there's an application for making the confession prior to being baptized, but we find that in Acts 8, 37. What Jesus was talking about was living that confession in our lives. And then, of course, being immersed in water for the forgiveness of sin, Acts twenty two sixteen. We need to be able to tell people about that. We need to be able to live that in our lives. We're going to live those same steps every day except for that immersion in water, that final step into salvation. Because when we make mistakes as a Christian, we repent of those things. Maybe that's the hardest part of the whole thing. Repentance, changing our lifestyles, making that confession to God and asking Him to forgive us, John chapter 1. You know, how can we make sure we're not roaming this life without direction, without reason, and making poor decisions? By being rational. That's our third and final point. We need to be rational in this life, right? I think sometimes we get caught up in emotion about a lot of things and, and we don't make rational decisions. I think some things uh, hurt our feelings or some things irritate us a little bit and we don't make rational decisions. And when we're talking about salvation, that's something that's a very emotional part of our lives, isn't it? Being a Christian... If it's not emotional to us, I think something's a little missing. We're not talking about emotionalism. We're talking about the emotion of understanding what Jesus has done for us, the love that God has demonstrated through His grace in giving us, those people who have no right to salvation, an opportunity to cling to it. And that's kind of emotional. And sometimes we allow that to cause us to make some poor decisions in this life that we wouldn't make in any other aspect of life. Right? But we need to be rational. Now, the rational thing is to have a plan, right? That's what this young boy, our illustration, he didn't have a plan. He's just bouncing around up and down the street corner. He's just going wherever he feels like he wants to go. First thing catches his eye, he's there. He went like a, an ox to the slaughter, a fool to the prison, an arrow to the liver. He didn't even realize it would take his life, but he did it anyway. You see, Solomon contrasted where the young man chose to be with a place where we should want to be. Whatever this young man did, just 180 degrees in other directions is what we want to do, right? And we want to do that with people who will help us get to heaven. He asked this, Proverbs 8, beginning with verse 1. Doth not wisdom cry? And understanding put forth her voice. She standeth in the top of high places by the way in the places of the paths. She crieth at the gates, at the entry of the city, at the coming in at the doors. Unto you, O men, I call. And my voice is to the sons of man. O ye simple, understand wisdom. And ye fools, be ye of an understanding heart. Hear, for I will speak of excellent things. And the opening of my lips shall be right things. See, the foolish person roams places he shouldn't be. 
About 90% of all the trouble I've ever had in my life is because I made a decision to be somewhere I shouldn't have been. And that's just the facts of the matter. Fortunately, thank God, I had the time and the, and the fortitude to overcome that with help from those people who want me to get to heaven. That's where we all ought to be, right? With those who want us to get to heaven. When, when that doesn't happen, it's because we don't have a plan. We don't have a plan. What's our plan? What are we, where are we going to be in ten years if we're alive on Sunday morning at whatever time? Well, here's the plan, right? We're going to be in church services. Unless I'm dead or dying, or feel like I am and can't get out of bed. Right? That's where, that's the plan. That's the plan. Wherever I'm at, I'm going to be with the Lord's people when it comes time to be with the Lord's people. Every single time. That's the plan. What am I going to do when I'm faced with a temptation that, uh, uh, lends itself to making me make a poor decision? I'm going to determine right now that I have a plan that says I'm not going to do that. Because I'm going to hide God's Word in my heart. Psalm 119.11 I'm going to use it to guide my path. I'm going to use it to see where I am. To keep me from going where I don't want to go. See, that's the plan. In a nutshell, that's all the plan we need, isn't it? That's all the plan we need. Is to be obedient to God. The wise man had a very specific destination in mind. Don't stumble into the clutches of the sinful because he is pursuing it. Don't pursue the sinful. Paul said, pursue after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. 1 Timothy 6.11 That takes all that other stuff out of the way, right? You know how hard it is for someone to live a sinful lifestyle if they have a praying lifestyle? Very hard, isn't it? If you have a praying lifestyle where you engage God in prayer regularly throughout the day, it is very hard to live a sinful lifestyle. That's one thing we can do. You know, we're going to go where we choose to go. Direction definitely determines destination and decisions are important. If that's true when I drive my car, that's true in every aspect of my life. I have to decide where to go if I'm going to get there. We need to submit to God, have a righteous plan, because it pleases Him. Because it pleases Him. Why? Because He first loved us, therefore we love Him. He has the good news for us, right? When we mistakenly or choose to walk in a different pathway, we need to grasp onto what He's told us. We need to submit to Him because it pleases Him. We need to recognize, I'm not where I need to be. Or, that's not a proper choice. Can we end up in places sometimes we don't need to be, not because we chose to be there, but because we just kind of let our guards down and we weren't paying attention? We're not taking the blame off ourselves. What we're saying is, I didn't choose to do that. That wasn't my goal, but I wasn't paying attention. Of course that can happen, but we need to be able to recognize that. And God wants us to be able to. Just like the young man in our passage. You see, he established a relationship with a woman because she liked him. Because she complimented him. She wanted to do things for him. She made him feel good and she insinuated that God condoned what she was doing. I paid my vows. See, I'm a religious person. I'm a religious person. 
I can't recall the the I was reading recently and I can't recall Han I believe was her last name the Jim Baker fiasco the the lady that was uh, uh, had an immoral relationship with her now I want you to notice she was being interviewed one time and uh, she said you know I made peace with God you know she posed in Playboy magazine she had a immoral relationship with this man. She, she said, you know, I don't think I'm a bimbo because I did those things. And then it said dot, 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 but her mother does. I think her mother's right. I think her mother's right. Could she overcome that? She could have. Did she? Not that I know of. And so we need to uh, be careful about convincing ourselves that our decisions are the right decisions when they're obviously not. You know, there are times when people will present themselves as children of God, but inwardly they are ravening wolves, Matthew seven fifteen. And we need to be careful about interacting with people who want to manipulate us into making a decision like this young man made. He was dealing with a wolf. She presented herself as a child of God. When we get tangled up with wolves, it is often because we like our plans better than God's plans. We need to keep that in mind, right? Perhaps we thought it was would be easier, but it never is when we ignore God's plans. God's plans are always the best plans. And uh, when we ignore them, we usually are hurt ourselves or hurt those around us whom we love, and sometimes eternally. Here's some of the greatest wisdom that we can read in the Bible. It comes from the book of James, known as the Proverbs of the New Testament, James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given him. Now that comes from the written word of God, and it's been given to us. We've got it. All we have to do is read it. We have to ingest it. We have to digest it. We have to understand it. And we simply have to follow it. And then we'll have that wisdom of which James spoke. God has addressed every possible scenario in some way in the Bible. He doesn't talk about methamphetamines, does he? But he talks about being sober-minded. And so we need to look at things in generalities and be able to put it in there. He's given us that information. He wants us to have it and He wants us to be wise. What if I made bad decisions? What if I've been walking in the wrong direction? To His people, God had said this, Isaiah 42, beginning with 21, Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for thou art my servant. I formed thee, thou art my servant, O Israel. Thou shalt not be forgotten of me. I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions, and as a cloud thy sins return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. You see, that's exactly what God does for us today. Through Christ Jesus, He's redeemed us. We talked about how to become a Christian. We talked about how to fix the problems in our lives once we have obeyed the gospel. If you need to answer the Lord's invitation this day, do that as we stand and as we sing.